Thanks for joining the podcast today. If you didn't already know, this podcast is based off of our YouTube channel. You can find the link in the description below. Be sure to subscribe. Also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know who you are and where you're watching from. We'd love to get to know you. We are a self-funded channel. We don't receive money from churches or ministries, and that allows us to continue to make content that pushes the borders of our faith. So if you enjoy what we do, consider giving to our Patreon. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can help support this channel. You can find the link in the description below. Thanks again for joining us. We believe that by coming together, we can leave bad religion defenseless. Hey everybody, just wanted to let you know before you dive into today's episode, this is actually going to be part one of a two-part series. We had a special guest in the studio with us this week, so the podcast went a little longer than expected, but rather than cutting it and chopping out any parts, we felt the whole thing was good, so we just decided to split it into two parts. I really hope you guys enjoy. Stay tuned because part two will be here next week. Peace. Hey everybody, we are back with another podcast. We haven't done one in a while. Uh, if you don't know, we do like to post our YouTube videos. We kind of transcribe them into audio and make them into uh, podcasts. But every once in a while, we get time in our busy schedules to break away and actually sit down and record a legitimate podcast. So this is legitimate podcast number three. Uh, today's a little special. We've had Christina, the wife. On that's her. Uh, we've had her a couple times on the podcast. Always a good time. I was just telling her that uh, the ones she's been on have actually been the most listened to podcasts. So maybe there's some magic there. Uh, but also today we have a friend of the show, uh, Ashlyn. She's here uh, and going to talk about just uh, some stuff today, and uh, I'm excited. So we all have kind of a charismatic Pentecostal background. And before we get started, Ash, if you just want to say hey. Um, yeah. yeah, hi guys. Uh, I hope you're having the best day ever. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for letting me come in. Um, I'm super excited to get to talk to you guys. Um, this is a super fun topic for me. So I think for my background and for where I am now, this is something um, that I'm definitely interested in getting to speak about. So um, thanks for bringing me in. Sweet. So, okay. So what we're going to talk about today um, I don't really have a gauge. I don't know how many people that listen or watch the YouTube channel come from charismatic Pentecostal background, but I talk about it a lot, so I'm assuming there's a decent number of those kind of people around. So um, what I wanted to talk about today is the charismatic Pentecostal, I'm sure there's like five other descriptor words I could use, um, style of worship, I guess, because I don't think it's limited to music, but I think music is where it's absolutely the most accepted and uh, that it's, there's kind of a thing in the church world. I've been a worship leader since I was like 16. So, I mean, 15 plus years now. There's a thing in the church world, especially once it became more market focused, production focused. Um, what is it? The first seven seconds someone walks into a church, they've already made the decision whether they want to come yeah. back for a second time or yeah. not. Um, what's typically happening for the first seven seconds when you walk into a church, if you're like most Christians are in, and you're late to every service, cause that's what <laughs> most Christians are, it's worship. 
Worship is the thing that's happening. So within those first seven seconds, and let's call it 10 minutes, within the first 10 minutes of a family being there, they drop the kids off, they get their coffee, they get their donut, they're finally in the sanctuary. Either someone's doing announcements, which is a really bad method and we shouldn't do that anymore, um, or worship's happening. And so you have the charismatic worship leader in the skinny jeans, maybe he's got the man bun, he's got the jean jacket on. I'm describing so many churches right now. It's Anyway. And then boom, we're in, we're singing Bethel, we're singing Hillsong, we're singing Elevation, we're singing uh, Maverick City, like whatever's hot right now, that's what we're doing. None of those things are bad, but in the church world, it is very orchestrated. And by orchestrated, I mean, it is very intentional. Like everything that you are seeing and hearing from a worship platform pre-sermon and even during the sermon um, is orchestrated not only to communicate the message of the gospel, because mm-hmm. I don't want to take that away from churches, mm-hmm. but it's also orchestrated so that you are getting, that you feel some type of way, mm-hmm. right? And so what I want to talk about today is kind of the, and I guess as we talk about it, I, I don't want to over-describe it, but in my opinion, sometimes too over-emotional, emotional-based um, worship services we have, once again, not limited to the musical side, but definitely I think that's the um, where the focus is mostly. Um, so Ashlyn and I grew up in charismatic, Pentecostal, more specifically Assemblies of God churches or yeah. church, I should say. Yeah. Christina, my wife, she actually grew up in Church of God, which is just a very near cousin to Assemblies. And maybe I'll do a video one day on why the Assemblies and Church of God split, because that's a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um very similar theologically. Um, I would say that for the most part, the Church of God churches are a little bit more gospel oriented. You'll find a little bit more, uh, a little more flavor over there than, <laughs> than you will uh, in an assemblies. But who knows? Maybe over time, those lines have slowly and surely changed. But I don't know that for a fact. Um, so we all grew up, even though uh, a little bit distant. And so, Ashlyn, how old are you? I'm 29. So you're 29. I'm 33, I think. Yes. Uh, so, so we, you know, we have a few years between us and then, uh, my wife's a few years younger than me too, six years. So we're all within, definitely within a generation. Um, we didn't go to high school together, but it was close. Right. Yeah. So we pretty much experienced for the most part, the same type and style and vibe of worship. And we also got to grow up in a time 90s, early 2000s, now we're in the 2020s, we've seen the church production skyrocket. Oh, yeah, for sure. When we were kids, um, I mean, maybe you had guitars, maybe you had drums, and even a lot of denominations didn't even have that yet. Like, yeah. we were on the progressive end of the music side of things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we weren't doing connect groups no. in the late 90s, right? Mm-hmm. It was still uh, Wednesday night services. Right, Wednesday night services. We weren't doing connect cards. Maybe we were doing outreaches, but it was like hot dogs and bounce houses and stuff, right? Right, and you were still going up after after service if you gave your heart to Jesus to connect with somebody up front at the altar. Right, right. So we've definitely, I've seen it explode from what it was into a massive production. I mean, one of the churches I worked for five or six years ago what did they spend? 80 grand on Easter Sunday. And that's lights, um, connections and extra audio and stuff like that. Well, and clothing for the band and stuff like that. Now I get the justification, right? So Easter Sunday, Christmas, Christmas it's like Super Bowl for churches, right? Like C&E Christians. Yes. But (laughs) what we're not actually saying is this is all for the sake of production. Now the backside of that is, well, if we catch them with production, 
they'll come back the next week. They'll come back next month. And then maybe that's how we win souls. And I get that to a point, but I wonder how much we, uh, we lose focus on the gospel because of the production side of things. Right, right. I'm going to take this girl on a date and get her like a 10 course, $300 meal just today. And then every other time it's McDonald's. Oh, that's a good <laughs> point. Yeah. And in the world of dating and everything else, that's just called false advertising. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I, I don't want to accuse the church of false advertising, although maybe I could and that would be fair. What I do think, though, is that there's this level, right? Like when you walk into a church, especially a big church that's production oriented, they want to make sure that everything's at a 10. Worship, 10 today. Sermon, 10. Kids department, 10. Real life isn't like that, right? Like your life isn't going to be a 10 tomorrow. You're not going to walk into your job and be like, dang it, my job did everything they could. It was a 10 today, like gold stars everywhere. So there's this intentionality behind it is that you walk in and if you're the this is the first time you're in the church is that you feel like, wow, this is an experience I've never had before. Because I think for people who are not in the church, there's a stigma about the church, especially if you were in church 20 years ago, you know, in the 90s. There's 1,000% of stigma about the church. So I think they want it to be a different vibe when you walk in the door that it's not this place of like condemnation and fire and brimstone and like, you got to wear a certain type of dress. Like it's be who you are, walk through the door. We're going to love you no matter what. And it can kind of be a rock concert, which is cool for people who've not been in the church for so long. So I think that the intention is there, but I also see what you're saying is not everything's a 10 out of 10. So why are we doing that? Right. And we'll go ahead. I was just going to say the pendulum swung. That's what happened. Sure. It was so probably negative or I don't know for so long. And then it's like, we got to make it complete opposite. Well, we all grew up and we were all like, why are we throwing fire and brimstone at people? Why are we condemning people for being human? I think we grew up and we were like, why do we have to do these things this way? Why can't we just love people? I think that's why. And I'll pull it back a little bit. So I I totally agree with the fire and brimstone. But really what was happening is churches, let's say 80s, 90s, 70s, definitely, and before, they weren't concerned about, and the big buzzword now is they weren't concerned about being seeker friendly, Hmm. right? We didn't care if you didn't like to wear your hair the way we said or the clothing that you liked or the music or the TV or like whatever the church was saying, there was such a push and a stance for holiness and righteousness. If you didn't want to step into that arena, we don't care. Like right. we don't care. That's how the church operate for such a long time. Right. And then maybe early mid nineties, uh, definitely late nineties when Hillsong uh, United came on. I, to me, that's where I really see the shift happening when Hillsong United, yeah. Marty, Marty Sampson, was it Joel Houston or whatever? When those guys started writing songs and like More Than Life came out, that's when things started to shift. Uh, and then the church culture came with it. But so we had a whole generation, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation. And before that, Seeker wasn't even a thing. Yeah. we did. You were either going to step into the arena of God and be holy and be righteousness and live above bar or we didn't want you. Right. Because we weren't going to water down the gospel. And that turned so many people off in it. But I mean, my, yeah. our parents generation statistically uh, is the largest exodus out of the American church of all time. And wow. our generation, because of that, is the most unchurched generation of all time. Millennials. Now, I don't I haven't checked on Gen Z and like where they're at statistically, because maybe the pendulum's starting to swing back the other way. I don't know. I haven't seen any statistics on that. But our parents generation 
at large walked away from the American church. And I think most of it was because of that, that, that holiness standard that you had to subscribe to. Um, and then now, like you said, the pin- the pendulum has swung and now we have, I don't want to say we, like I'm being all inclusive, but so many big popular churches definitely fall into that category of seeker. And you'll even find churches outside of the charismatic Pentecostal uh, denominations, they will use that word seeker as a negative because they're actually still back 15, 20 years ago when mm-hmm. we were in the um, mm-hmm. Presbyterian churches. That word seeker was actually used as a negative mm-hmm. in the Pentecostal circles. They may not use the word seeker, but the idea is absolutely on a positive. Mm-hmm. The truth of the gospel probably lands somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I want to talk about today, that that seeker mentality, that creating a 10 out of 10, the, the hype, the skinny jeans. You know, one thing that drives me crazy about modern worship music, or at least in churches, uh, and maybe this is just because I'm a musician, I hate seeing a worship team where it's like, 10 vocalists on the front and then all the musicians are in the back and no one's leading from an instrument. And I'm like, what is happening here? Oh yeah. Oh, it's so, yeah, I think it should be half and half like a balance. Like yeah, have a keyboard player. I'm just filtering through all the churches in our area and I'm like, "Mm, worship leader, worship leader. Well, to me, because I've led worship for so long, um, there's something subtle underneath that. Uh, I still lead worship on, on the weekends and I lead from keys or guitar. Now, I, my style of worship is we flow a lot. Like, we practice our songs. We know what we're doing. But at any given moment, we could just go. Yeah, and, yeah. And that's personally how I prefer it. Having an instrument in my hand lets me do that. It yeah. lets me change the chords. It lets me change the vibe, bring down the tempo, whatever. And then it allows us to flow. Five people holding microphones in the front. Lines. They don't have the ability to do that. Yeah. Right, but they 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 physically don't have the ability to change the music that is taking us where we're mm-hmm. going, musically speaking. Mm-hmm. So when I see a front chorus line of worship leaders, I'm like, well, I know what kind of worship this is going to be. We're we are on rails. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we've been at worship uh, at churches before where everything was to a click track. Yep. And big church. I mean, I was leading worship for thousands of people a week, and doing all the same songs that I would do, but literally there's a little, I called her Siri cause she kind of sounded like Siri from Apple. Yeah. Uh, in four, in four measures, first one, one, two, three, four. Yep. And you're just on rails and there's tracks playing behind you. And we had now this particular church I was working at, um, we were simulcasting, I think that's what they call it. So when the preacher would preach, it was happening live mm-hmm. uh, at the other campus. And now mm-hmm. I think they have two other campuses. Mm-hmm. So there was there was really hard time restrictions. Mm-hmm. So that means the worship teams were playing the same songs mm-hmm. at the same services. Mm-hmm. They were using the same tracks and the same rails because they had to end at the same exact moment because that's when the pastor would come on. So Talk about pressure. I'm feeling anxiety right now. You're just well, talking about it. But how it was built... <laughs> Because there's so many backing tracks, right? You didn't have a bass player that day. You just click bass on no, Ableton Live no. and there's Listen, a bass player. No. I would literally get like talked to after service if he decided to like not sing the bridge or something or like, you know, talk instead. Oh, I would take like a whole verse because I knew it was coming. I'm like, we're just going to flow for this moment. Oh, and yeah. we would land roughly at the same time. 
And it wasn't even so much about like, oh, we missed like our landing zone. It was that you went off rails and we don't do that here. Oh boy. I can tell you from experience, um, I've never like led worship like the whole set myself, but I've led a song. And just from experience, um, I've started leading worship, not having like the Siri, like you talked about, the click in your ear. And then being at the church I'm at now, they have the click. So they want you to follow the click. It's just to keep you on with all the instruments. I don't like it. I'd rather just listen to the instruments and going on through that. So I feel like it's a a performance. It's a perfected. They want it to be perfect. They want it to sound like the radio. No, and but I get why it's there. But like I'm so not used to it. It's something that I'm gonna have to keep practicing with. So it it gives me so nervous when I'm like singing. I'm like, oh my god. (laughs) Anyways, but it takes like the freedom and I think the genuineness of of worship. Um, I think it can. I think it can. Yeah. Yeah, but I think once you get used to it. Um, and I definitely think it's the environment you're in too, because, um, I know like specifically at my church, we definitely have a click and we definitely have, um, we have frontline people, but I am trying to think of our worship leaders. They always have an instrument in their hands and we have a director I know on stage, but that person is assigned. Yeah. Yeah. That person is random. It's not always the same person you think it is. Um, but they're flowing and it's not like strict on what we do. Now the set is booked. Like, you know, what songs are going to be played and in what order, but, um, they might come back in with a bridge or they might come back in with the last verse or. Right. So that's more of the Bethel method. Well, how they were, I don't know how they're doing it now, but back when Bethel was hot, what they would do is they wouldn't have Siri in their ears, but they would have a click. And what that allowed to happen, it's all, it's the same thing as like a drummer just holding a hi-hat yeah. or a ride cymbal, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the only difference is the audience can't hear it. It's just for the musicians. I'm not opposed to having a click. What I didn't like was somebody telling me, hey, we have to land here. Yeah. The next verse is here. The song ends at this moment. We have like a three second interlude in between. Uh, scripted prayer time. Now they so, wouldn't tell you what to pray, but you had ten seconds to get a prayer in between right. songs. And to me, that felt. Here's to my me. problem with that. So the point I think for worship, and this is just me, is uh, when you are inviting that presence into the space where you're worshiping. The idea is that you're inviting the Holy Spirit into your area. Is you want to open the realm for the Holy Spirit to join you, and you're trying to create a connection with God, and that's. I think that's what worship is supposed to be. Um, and there's multiple means of worship, but I think that's that's the intention behind worship. So when you set the time on like, okay, we have to be done at worship at this time, you're really breaking the intention behind the worship. So what if something's going on? And I mean, as a worship leader, you can feel when the spirit is moving. You can feel when you need to keep going. You can feel when it's time to move on. You know that. And I think when you break that um, ability for the, the worship leader to kind of feel the atmosphere, you, you break the intentionality behind it. Sure. But if the if you don't have a congregation who's been trained in that or exposed or experienced in that, then all they know is you just knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Man, they played So Am I just like I hear it on the album, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, yeah. so they don't know the difference. And, that, and that's one of the things that kind of kills me, not only with modern day worship, but modern day Christianity is there's so many things we've just accepted right. that... I don't know that that was the point. Like you talk about the intention behind worship. Right. And I know right. we talked about this a little before we started the podcast yesterday. Um, and, and maybe we can pivot to this for a second. One of the big questions I have, and hear me, I feel super hypocritical even talking about this because I still lead worship and I don't know how Lay I feel it about on it. Lay it on me. 
Let's hear it. I don't know. I, I mentioned it to you the other day. Go in the Gospels and find me how many times Jesus mentions musical worship. Okay. You won't find it. Okay. It doesn't exist. Now, you do have Paul, I think, in Corinthians and I think, again, in Galatians. But it's only, I mean, we're talking, if it's more than five verses, I'd be surprised when we're talking about musical worship. Because remember, we also have to take into account when someone just says the word worship, especially in the Old Testament and even in the Gospels and in the New Testament, a lot of times they weren't necessarily talking about uh, musical worship, right? Mm-hmm. And so so we can go back to Old Testament, we can go back to Second Samuel, we can see David and worship, but even still, that was such a small piece of the picture of David. Mm-hmm. What I asked Ashton the other day is, I said, why do we think in modern worship culture, or church culture, I guess would be a better way to say this, why have we majored on a minor? It's not that musical worship doesn't exist in scripture. Right. I can't say that. Right. But it doesn't exist at the level that we have it at today. Why have we majored on something that is minor? And I haven't quite figured that out yet. Because what I think it has done is it's opened the door for emotionalism. Yes. It's opened the door. And it, it's sad. This is not an issue of salvation at all. I would just want to point that out. But yeah, it's yeah. sad because I do think that it's confusing people especially people who are coming into the kingdom for the first time. They don't know what's what, right? right. They, they look to their pastor. They look to their church. They look to whomever. Right. And if we're creating an emotional experience, and the biggest thing I've seen, the biggest issue I have with this is, so you go to a church, right? Yep. 10 out of 10 every Sunday. You're there for six months. You love it. It's awesome. Right, right. You got to move to Lincoln, Nebraska for a job. Right. right. And that style of church isn't there for whatever reason. So okay. now you're going to go check out a Baptist church. You're going to check out a non-denom church. But it's not that, right? It's okay. something else. Mm-hmm. For you, you're so used to being at a 10, worship being here. Now you're downgrading, quote unquote, to normal worship, whatever. Just, whatever that looks like. And But because it's not at this level, now emotionally we've been conditioned to think that the Holy Spirit isn't there as much. And this is a big issue I have. It's it's summer camp syndrome. Yeah. We go to summer camp. We have these high, oh, I love Jesus. I'm in an altar moment. And then we go back to regular life. And life isn't a 10 out of 10. Life doesn't do that. Right. And so we go back to these moments where the emotionalism isn't intentionally being curated to make you feel some type of way. And now we think the Holy Spirit is less present. Right. And... It may sound like I'm nitpicking. I know so many people who do that. How many times have you heard people in worship? Well, I can't worship because the worship leader does this. Right. So I I hear I think all of your points you just made are valid. And I I hit this realization, I think, right when I was I was starting to hit my like 17, 18 year old, like questioning a few things self. Um, I remember just like turning around and thinking, because I was at a church that, um, post the church we grew up in, this was the second church that came out of the, the break of that church. And um, I just remember like leaving youth group and, you know, things had not been the same as they were. And I think I was starting, my eyes were starting to open. I was starting to explore more of the Bible than had been given to me. Um, and they they would say things that just didn't make sense. So I was, I was just starting to dive in more. And something that occurred to me is that, you know, they say if you if you dig into worship more, you know, God will meet you there and things will get healed through worship, right? And then, like, I remember p- 
people in the youth group saying like, I just felt God's presence and I know, or I felt God's presence and I know I was healed. And I just remember thinking, is God a feeling or is he like, like, what is that? And so I, it took me a long time to realize like the basis of what we grew up in was if you felt like you encountered God, then you did. Right. And that to me was a scary moment because I was like, and then at what point do you know if it, it is true for you or not? And so I, it came to, I came to a lot of conclusions at that point. You have to be biblically based, obviously. So whether you're um, in the word or you're not, if you're worshiping and you feel like you're there, then the church is saying, if you feel like you experience God, but you're not in the word, it's fine. Sure. Okay. No, that, that's not true for me. Um, so I, I think that emotionalism is just not, it's not a valid point, but that's what they were preaching to us for a long time. So I want to pivot back to that point though. If we've majored on a minor musical worship Mm -hmm. and we know that emotionalism is just wrapped up in that it's because music outside of worship is emotional. I mean, literally, I mean, I played music professionally for years it was my job to make you feel some type of way. Now, yes, I'm communicating my heart and, and chords and stuff like that, but but music is literally based. It's meant to be an amus- in a an emotional communicator. Right. And I think it's meant to, again, open your heart and help you to connect with God in a different way. And um, I think when you're playing the same songs over and over again, people are like, oh, I know the words. I killed it. Right. I had my hands up. I was moving and grooving and we were singing. I think that's emotionalism. But I think when you're in a church and you don't always know the songs and you're still pressing in despite all the distractions, despite how you feel, despite what's going on around you, I think that's when you know it's true worship even if the music is off or not. But, and I want to keep pushing you on this. Okay. You say true worship, but it's, we're majoring on a minor. Yeah. So uh, scripturally speaking, if we're talking about true worship, biblically speaking, we're actually talking about sacrifice. Right, right, right. That's really what we're talking about. Now, I understand new covenant. That's not what it is anymore. But if we're being honest, man, and, and babe, if you want to pull up the scripture on your phone, it says, this is your true and reasonable worship. And I can't remember what it is. I feel like it's like laying down your life for another person or something like that. But Mm -hmm. if you find that verse, this is your true and reasonable worship is actually nothing to do with music. Right. And I think that there was another verse about tithing is a form of worship or something like that. Yeah. And, but that's more OT. Yeah. Yeah. What's the verse, babe? It's Romans 12, one. Um, I'm trying to find a better version. Okay. CSB. I like the CSB. Yeah. Therefore, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Right, right. So so what he's doing is he's drawing, a, uh, he's comparing and contrasting. He's saying OT was all about actual sacrifice, lamb, slaughter, all that stuff. Yep. Jesus has come. Now it's your job to actually become the living sacrifice. We lay our lives down for other people. This is your true and reasonable worship. No mention of music there. Hmm. What I'm not saying is that we just need to scrap music and throw it away. What I am trying to build the case for is that we are majoring on a minor. And if we're doing that and we're using things like, well, I want to be biblically correct when I come to worship, then my question is, how do we come biblically correct if we are, in fact, majoring on a minor? And I don't think we've thought this through as far as like modern worship goes because, and I hate to say it this way, music and worship will fill your church up. 
Well, yeah, I think it attracts people. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that um, it definitely, and as much as I hate to say it, the emotionalism, I think it starts to bring people in. I think it stirs something in you, especially if you are, um, if, if you're not saved and it's the first time you're in church, when you hear the song and you hear the words for the first time, it creates an emotion in you where you're like, man, that really speaks to me, you know? And that that is the people. basis of emotionalism. Yeah. And you see, right. And with something you don't really know about. Right. And then um, I think too that, um, like I said, when the Holy Spirit is moving and whether you are saved or not and you're in that atmosphere, you can feel it, you know? And I think that creates an emotion in you. So I've just seen, we talk about this all the time, I've seen the really like the worst outcome of emotionalism in church, like I've seen the same people at the altar crying about the same thing the whole time I've knew them. So like 10 right, years, 12 right. years, God deliver me from depression. Right, and it's right. typically, and it's like typically, yes. it's at the end of a service yep. where the worship leader is playing minor chords. Yep. The pastor's talking in a really sweet, soft and gentle voice. And we know how to construct these moments. Right. Now, what I don't want to do is say that the person's heart is wrong. Right. I can't judge that. What I am saying is that systematically, we know what we're doing. We're cre- I literally had a pastor, a pastor that Christine and I both sat under, said the, the worship could bomb, meaning we could mess up. The sermon could be flat, like blah, but I can always throw a bomb altar call. Straight up said that and meant it with full like... It, because, in, and maybe he didn't even know what he was saying, but what he's actually saying is, I know how to trick people emotionally into thinking something's happening. And that's, that is where we're failing people as leaders and in ministry, because we need to be teaching them the biblical base of how to connect themselves with God and how to give them the tools that he, and the resources that he gives us, that is not through emotionalism, which is through Bible-based resources and the, problem the is, people around them. I agree with what you're saying. But that doesn't sell tickets. Right. But (laughs) how else do you keep people come? Like, how else do you keep people with like, what's the point of being in church? The point of being in church is to save souls. How do you keep souls like with the Lord? You, I mean, the longevity is keeping people walking with Jesus. And how do you do that? You resource them with what they need. I think if we're going back to the biblical model, the way we experience church today is absolutely not how they experienced church yeah. when church exploded, meaning Book of Acts, first hundred years or so. Right. Um, they didn't have super dope worship to come to. Right. right? They, for the most part, didn't even have buildings because the Jewish people wouldn't let them into the synagogues. Yeah. Uh, they were having house church all over the place. Or outside, yeah. Or outside or community centers. But remember, Christians were being persecuted for a lot of that, so they had to hide what they did too. So... I get it. I get the idea of like, well, how else do we bring people in? I'm like, but the biggest explosion of Christianity of all time had none of this. And I feel like we just, I think it's just a modern day construct that we all stick to because it works. Absolutely. Well, because the marketing works, but that's the question. Does it really work? It does it actually serve the, the purpose of the gospel or are we just creating something that feels like it? You know, we talk about this all the time. How many Christians do you know? who will ball their eyes out in a worship service oh, or an altar man. call or whatever, yeah. but they treat people like crap. Mm-hmm. Is the gospel being served there? Because we're not actually creating little Jesuses. That's the point. 
We're creating emotional things where they can be, they can feel, they get their fix for the moment and then they're back to be, so there's not transformation and that's. But how many of those people are sitting in service and the, the pastor is saying, I'm glad you're here on Sunday, but you have to do the work during the week. Join a city group, get in the word, find what you need during the week to continue to feed yourself. I think some and churches do that well. And they're not doing that. I think some churches do that well. And but yeah, not all maybe churches. some are not. But right. that's the thing is you can't you can't expect your walk with God to just be fed on a Sunday morning service. And a lot of people only find yeah, their feeding on but Sunday that's morning. that's like my kids coming over to the house and me like, hey, I got cake every single week, but it's your job to make sure you're eating healthy. <laughs> but you're giving yeah. them cake every week. Like you're not actually giving them what they need to sustain. But your relationship with God is between you and God. The pastor can't give you that. You have to pray. You have to read the Bible Agreed. and you've got to study. But if we're not setting our people up correctly, they're blind. Church is a feeding tube. It's, it's, we're pumping them up with, it's all fine and dandy to say like, you need to study, you need to whatever. But yeah, we're not equipping them properly because they keep coming back and with the same problems and the same. Right, right. We're not giving them the actual resources no. right. they need. And we're this, not teaching them. a catering service to make you feel better about it, yourself. Right. Okay. Once again, not talking about the individual's heart who's in one of these systems, who's genuinely seeking. Because I see this is one of the saddest things about modern day church culture for me is because I'm not mad at the person crying in the altar. Right. I feel for them because I feel like they're just as chained up as the addict. Right, right, right. Just right. in another way. Um, so, and I'm not saying they're not saved. Right. I don't get to know that. Nobody gets to know that except right. Jesus. And I'm not mad at the pastor necessarily. Maybe sometimes I'm not mad at the worship leader. I'm upset at the systems that we've created that are that bank on mm -hmm. keeping people blind because dude, if you, for instance, I don't need a pastor. I don't even consider myself a pastor. In fact, I never want to pastor another church again. <laughs> it may happen, but I never, I don't have the desire to. I don't need anyone in my life to keep me spiritually healthy. Yeah. I am now the cultivator of that with Jesus and we're good. I could never walk into another church service again and be okay. However, I was not created by the church system to think that way. In fact, I tick off a lot of Christians in churches thinking that way. Correct. And so, go ahead. I was just going to truly like unlocked freedom when I was like I could never go to church again and my relationship with Jesus would be amazing still and and what we're talking about is I could never go to a place where they're intentionally serving me now we believe right. in service like right, we, right 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 in community so when we talk about being Christian and going to church what we're not talking about is going serving other people loving other per people caring out the commission what we're talking about is going and being spoon-fed Right. right, 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 right. We're in a position. Same. Yeah, we're Science, in a position same. where we don't need that anymore. My biggest issue with current Christian charismatic culture is that I think they feed off that. Yes. The, the culture feeds off keeping people dependent versus creating independent I mean, people. If you think about it, the majority of the church are people who are always going to be attendees. For sure. Sometimes help with a kid's service or sometimes. Um, I don't know, like do something for, you know, some type of outreach. But I feel like the majority of Christians are like, oh, I did my thing. I helped the kids this week and now I'm good. That was my one service. <laughs> See, and I'd like to push back on that too is I know at like 
my church specifically, we have like a, a program where you go through, you learn about the church, you do all these things. And at the end of it, we take your talents and your gifts and we plug you into a ministry where you can get involved in the church because we don't want you to just be a person who shows up on Sunday. We want you to be part of the vision. Do you think 50% or more are, are those people? What like do you mean? Using their gifts and talents? Well, let, let, let me frame it in another way. Let's say tomorrow the pandemic gets a million times worse. Like people start dropping mm-hmm. like flies. Mm-hmm. Let's say legit, we can't have church anymore okay. for six months. Okay. Your church, our church, all the churches you know, if they can't go somewhere and be spoon fed, right? what percentage of those people that you go to church with every week would you feel would be strong, healthy, productive Christians without the system? Without the system? Without the system. Yeah, I don't think it would be... a a majority part of our would you of our, would you say 20% I'm not sure because I know that my church is a large congregation so I can't say that I've met every person in my church I can confidently say that almost every church I've attended for more than 6 months I would be shocked if it was more than 10% and I th- feel like I'm being generous with 10% mm. This is where I feel a little hypocritical because I've been leading worship since I was 16 I am actively a part of that system that I hate. And if but I'm that's, being honest, that's like, the system we've like, set up. That I, is the modern system that works or well, we say works. The system puts food on my table. The puts system button chairs, butts yeah. and chairs. Well, go ahead. the majority of, of the system. Not for what I was going to say. It, it just, like I said, it's just self-serving. It doesn't work. Like, or here's what I was going to say. There it is unhealthy Christians. I think the majority of American Christians don't actually know like American Christians. <laughs> That's like a good Jesus. way to put it. Yeah. I mean, cause I don't know other countries. I don't know. And even other developed countries, like I don't know how they do church because I, I don't know. Yeah. But American Christianity, I think has a freaking <laughs> like poison in it. And not to be mean, like I think so many people have good intentions and, and want to love people. I just don't think we were ever taught how to do it like Jesus for real. Yeah. Yeah. Self-sacrificing for real. Yes. Well, yeah, because we've, we've taken, we've taken these things that work in capitalism, which you would be an idiot to look at America and say it, it hasn't become what it's become because of capitalism. Capitalism has been the driving force. Hmm. We've taken these principles and we've now applied yeah, consumerism and capitalism and we've applied them to the church world because uh, Henry Ford figured out how to sell a car. GE figured out how to sell a light bulb. They figured out how to, Universal figured out how to sell a record. And they've done all these processes. I guarantee you, look at every single um, ministry inside of your church that is about outreach, that it's about growth, that's about connect. I absolutely guarantee you, every single one, I don't care what the church is, is based off of a secular way to sell something. I guarantee it. It may not be direct from that, like, oh, we pulled this from GE, but I guarantee if you followed the thread, hey, like, where did these principles of connect, grow, mm-hmm. serve come from? Yeah. I guarantee you the baseline of all of that comes from some sort of capitalistic source because we said, man, if the world can sell and they can draw, why can't we do that? We didn't realize it wasn't because the gospel can't sell itself because I believe it totally 1 million percent 
can. I think the gospel lived out by real people, loving people, sacrificing. I think it sells itself. When you thoroughly dive in deep and you're, you're 100% in. Right. Yes. Because that's what the Church of Acts was. The gospel was selling itself. There you can't was be lukewarm. No... That is the problem. Right. Is we find ourselves in American, American Christians, lukewarm. I'm going to pick and choose what I want to believe in this Bible. Sure. But most people, and I don't mean this in a, in a mean way, most people are just ignorant to what they even believe. They don't know what they believe. They only know what they believe based on their Sunday morning services. Sure. Sure. Right, right. Once again, it is a codependency that we've created. We may not say, I need my pastor for spiritual growth, but take away the pastor. And what do they have? How much growth are they experiencing? None. Right? We may not say that your true and reasonable uh, worship is to sacrifice, to lay your life down for, for others. Um, we may not say, oh, well, the worship experience as I experience it on a Sunday morning or through Bethel or Hillsong or whatever the thing is that you really like. Um, I know that's not like what full worship is, but remove all of that from the Christian. And I think we're back to square A where they don't know who they are. They don't know what they believe. Once again, I'm not questioning their salvation. Right, they may, right, they right. may totally get into heaven and yeah. it'll be just fine, but they don't have an actual core understanding of what it means to be a Christian. So then, okay, a couple things. A, I don't think the intention behind the church and I don't think the plan or the plan behind the church, I don't think that's the intention. I don't think that's the pastor's intention usually. But um my question to you is what what is your solution to that? How do you think we how do you think we combat that problem? Because I definitely see that problem now and I'm just trying to talk to people like on a day-to-day basis about their like daily walk with God. And some people are looking at me like, well, I don't have time to do devotions in the morning. And I'm like, well, I mean, you have time to look at Facebook. So, but that doesn't seem to get across to people. So what, what is it? Because they're still stuck in that system. Right. So what is your solution to pulling people out of this system? I'm a rip the bandaid off guy. Okay. I've always been that. And my rip the bandaid off is we need to get in pulp. Well, first we got to teach our pastors this because I wonder what percentage of pastors really understand what we're talking about here. Okay. Because I think so many pastors, I mean, we've met them. We know how nepotism flows to the church. The pastor that said, um, I could throw a bomb altar call is a pastor's son. And I guarantee you, he is operating mostly on a frequency that he saw his dad operating on. Right. And I'm sure his dad operated on a frequency that he saw. So there's a lot that has been passed down and never questioned. And that's why I don't question like that younger pastor's like salvation or even his motive or intention, because I understand that he may just be regurgitating a lot of this. And he probably means well, and he definitely thinks he's doing work for the kingdom. Right. But so I think first off, we got to make sure our leaders get this stuff. But once again, but what's the solution? How do we equip our people to be strong enough Christians to stand on their own? If the pastor and the worship, the construct of the modern church was taken. I, I think as what do we long do? as there's money to be had inside the modern Christian American realm, I don't know that we're going to get there. At least not through the system. Because, dude, I mean, think of how many pastors are living off that salary, Right. Not only just that, not only financial, think how many pastors find their identity right now on who they are in that pulpit. How many worship leaders find their identity on who they are when they're holding a guitar, right? We don't have to explicitly say, well, we know worship isn't music because I feel like most people just stock Christian answer. Well, I know worship isn't music or it's not just music, but you take the music away from a worshiper, what do, what do you got? You'll, you'll find out real quick who you are when that 
gifting, when that talent, when that ability gets ripped away from you, you find out quick who you are. And I think we can, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how to correct from inside the system, which is the whole point of this podcast and the video is to get outside of the system and trying to show people, trying to open people's brain to a different idea, not of necessarily like what church is, because I have no intention of starting a church, but getting people outside of the system trying to educate them so that when they go back inside of the system, they're saying some of the same things like, hey, why do we do this again? You get enough people saying that from the outside, uh, I think we can have real and meaningful change. It could happen in a span of a year. It could happen in a span of 10 years. It might take 100 years for it to happen. But when I hear Christians talk about, oh, revival and the next move of God, they're all talking about, if we're being honest, they're all talking about an emotionalism thing. When I think of revival, and I don't really like to use that word because I feel like it's been made yucky now. But when I think of the next move of God, I think it is going to be in stark contrast to what the modern American church is today. I think it's going to look like ripping a bandaid off and people for the first time becoming independent Christians. I go to church. I love my pastor. I love my worship leader. But if that was ripped away from me, I'm still good. But then where's the community? Community doesn't have to be inside a building. No. Once again, we go back to the Church of Acts. They didn't have a building. Right. They, they were feeding one another. They were loving one another. They were going out. That's community. But then when the community does come together of independent Christians, does it then become a church? I think if a group of, if there was, I think if there was a hundred people like, like us at this table right now, and we decided to start a church with the idea of the stuff we're talking about now and a bunch of other things, I think you'd have to say, if we're going to come together in an organized fashion, here are the things we are never going to do. Mm. And I think you would just have to be hyper intentional about not becoming that thing right because i think like. that's exactly the pit the rut you would fall into if you decided to start meeting <laughs> but once again the church of acts didn't have a building but now we have to have buildings right they weren't paying salaries but now we got to pay salaries i mean there's so much we i don't know do. i know a couple churches that started off in tents sure but what was the goal to get bigger to have a building to pay salaries i mean that's always the goal right i've never heard a church start that said, we never, ever want to grow past 50 people. I never want uh, my pastor, uh, I, I always want him to have a full-time job, just show up on Sunday, study on Saturday nights real hard. You know, like, I've never, that's never been a model I've heard since day one. I've been with small churches and I've been with big churches. The goal is always growth. It's always big. Well, and I think there's two parts to that. I think that's so that they can bring in more people. They have the ability to save more people. To bring more people to the Lord and because when you have the pastor in full-time ministry, they can focus more on bringing more people to Jesus. I think that is the intention. I don't know if it always necessarily translates that way, but I think that's what they want to do in the long run. Well, I think inside of modern Christianity, I think what all that actually does is it just allows us to keep furthering the system. Right. So having your pastor who doesn't have to work a full-time job, if he's still going to regurgitate all the same stuff that modern Christianity is saying, are we actually are we getting anywhere or are we just paying a guy to like do the same thing over and over and over and Mm -hmm. over again? And so it's tough because like I said, I I think it's a rip the bandaid off situation, but I I honestly don't know how, or I believe it should happen. And I'm constantly talking to Christians, even non-Christians about this is what I see as the future of the church is us ripping this bandaid off. I'm not saying every church has to sell its building. I'm not saying no pastor should ever get paid again, 
But I think all of these things have to happen with the goal of, are we actually creating good, strong, healthy Christians? Mm -hmm. Or if we're being really honest with ourselves, are we happy just playing the game because it pays my salary? Because it it fits my identity. It's insane to me that like people have gone to the same church their whole entire lives and like volunteer at the church here and then and now and again and like have never... I don't know, like, have never done anything with it. I think that's why it is the way it is. Like, people are comfortable, so they just take, 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 and then they die. I think something that concerns me is when someone says, yeah, I've been at the same church my whole life. We've had XYZ pastor or XYZ pastor and then his son, and never once. And I say, okay, well, tell me, tell me, I love to ask this question. Tell me about a time when you disagreed with something the pastor said. Well, why would I disagree with anything the pastor said? Right, Right. that's, it's so dangerous, like, I used to, I mean, in the church I grew up in, it was very, like, loyalty, like, loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. Still is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Don't be a church hopper. Like, oh, my gosh, you went to a Methodist church? They're, like, like they're so much worse than us. And and I loved when my eyes opened to, like, there's not a better denomination. There's not. Like, no, yeah, there's yeah. There's good parts to every denomination and, and not so great parts. But literally, they were all about loyalty and I, I'm so bad or looked down upon because I decided to go to a Methodist church or I decided, like, because we right. met the Presbyterian, we the Methodist. Right. You know, and I am thankful for those experiences because I think my eyes opened. Yes, when I, I when totally I agree. my bubble. I agree. Um, it's just super dangerous to never leave your bubble. And so I think it's I think dangerous it's dangerous to never question things. Yeah. And yeah. they, they don't. Because you're punished if you question. Right. And that's I, exactly how we were raised. Don't I, question it. Dude, you're told to do this, you do it. Well, not only that. I mean, I, I am a very capable worship leader from a ability standpoint. I, I feel like I can hold my head up with most of them. There are absolutely churches that will never, ever touch me, not because of my ability, not because of what I can bring to the table, but because I am a questioner. Yes. They won't touch me yeah. because that's dangerous because... They want you to walk through the system the way they, they want you to. Well, not only that, because they understand on some level that if that idea spreads of question everything, that's bad for their church. It's not healthy. No, I don't want to say healthy. It's not good for that system to right. question everything. I mean, we, right. we're seeing that right now in American politics. Like everybody questions everything that any political figure does and look at how much chaos our country is constantly in. It's because people probably since like the fifties and sixties, I'd say it started in the sixties, at least in America, <clears throat> everything is a conspiracy. Now we question everything. We yeah. don't trust red, blue, independent, green. We don't trust anybody who's in politics anymore because some shady things have happened, but it is, I think, even more than the political divide, I think the idea that inside of that system, we have so many millions and millions of people questioning the system right now, that's what's causing the upheaval in our American system. It's the same thing in the church world. If you have enough people questioning the system that exists, that is perpetuating some of these bad things, it is bad for the system. And some people, whether they realize it or not, it could be a churchgoer, it could be a pastor, it could be a worship leader, it could be a deacon, it could be whoever, some people realize that their lifeboat is the system. And if I let you tear it down, what am I left with? Right. And this is why, honestly, one of my desires in life is to get away from the church, to not be dependent on it, financially speaking, um, because I'm already spiritually not dependent on it because my kids are starting to turn into teenagers and I want to show them that like, there's nothing wrong with going to church. 
got a new hot little girlfriend. She wants to take you to your friends. Sure, that's fine. Go for it, bro. I love that that is the priority. You got I mean, a girlfriend, what, go to her church. That's what happens, right? <laughs> yeah. A cute girl invites you to her church. You're going to her church. I mean, duh, that's how youth groups are built. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to teach my kids that it is okay to question these things. And it won't feel good. And people are probably not going to like you for it. But at least you can stand up and say, hey, like, I think for myself, I follow Jesus, I'm independent, I have a good relationship with Jesus, and I don't need the worship leader to play Oceans on a Sunday to feel right. some type of way. Right, I don't need right. the pastor to preach on how my finances are going to get better next week to feel some type of way. Right. And I don't think the system likes that. The system is built around those things that keep people coming back for more. It is the dark side of Christianity that I think nobody wants to talk about because at the end of the day... It's kind of like the banks in 2008. They're too big to fail. I think most people today would agree or have the thought that the church system is too big to fail. What would happen tomorrow if the church system collapsed? How many Christians will we have left standing? Right. And I think that's what scares people. But I, th I don't think that can be the motivation. I think, once again, we're not talking about salvation, at least on the individual level, because the person crying in the altar next Sunday, this Sunday coming up, because there are going to be millions of them in churches all over America, not questioning their, their salvation. What I do question is when that person leaves the altar and they go back to their workplace, they go back to whatever life looks like for them. They've been filled up with an emotion, but not necessarily filled up with uh, a Jesus that will sustain them and pull them through hard times and help. Pull well, other that comes through. through learning in a personal relationship. Sure. But what I'm saying is that person may have salvation and I'll never question that. Right. What I will question is when that person goes back out into the real world, how much Jesus are they actually pouring into people? Yeah. Right. That's the dangerous part. We're not equipping people to have their own personal relationships. It's like me expecting my kindergarten students, write your name, don't know any of the letters, but. But you're teaching luck. them every day to do that and you're sending them home with homework. Right. And I think that's part of the thing I was saying earlier is we, I, I know for a fact at my church that we're, we're constantly encouraging people to get involved with connect groups and we're constantly telling people to get in the word and we're giving them materials throughout the week to like get involved internally. And we have like life journals. I know that's a hot topic right now. Um, and like just between me and my husband, after we leave a service, whether it's at our church or somewhere else, we always talk about takeaways because for us, it's a lesson. It's an intellectual conversation on what we learned from that. Do you need the church to facilitate those conversations? No, you don't No, but right. I have learned those tools over time. And I think that 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 to me is a solution that we need to start giving other people. I don't necessarily agree that we need to take the whole church structure away in order for um, it to be for 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 this system to be fixed. I think that we do need to create more um, independent Christians and for them to be able to not be more dependent on the church. I think the church does create um, dependent Christians. If that's what that's but, what we but were the saying. The problem with free people is they're free. The church for thousands of years has thrived on controlling people. And so you create independent Christians who are free thinking Christians. It, I mean, there's just no way around it. It lessens the weight that the pastor has. It just does. Because now the pastor isn't like when the pastor gets up on stage at a Sunday morning, and you'll definitely see this in more of those more, uh, let's call them spiritually conservative churches. Mm-hmm. 
when the pastor gets up and says something at a fundamental Baptist church on Sunday, it's the gospel. And you question it, you're out. Like yep. You're gone. There, That is a system of control that exists. And it's not just in the Baptist church. It's in uh, tons of different denominations. Yep. Okay. You create free people who question that pastor. Now his station is lessened because now he... People aren't dependent on him to give the word. You see what I'm saying? It's yeah, for sure. And it's not even on an individual level. What happens is the church at large loses control and religion loves control. Religion. Yes. And I think my point that I was making is in the right structure of church, you're not preaching religion, you're preaching relationship. I I I feel like we've been crapping on the church the whole time. But I don't think I found one church who hasn't been religious in some capacity, like super like well, controlling or sure. religion right. based. I think that's the thing. I think it's it's not about like we think every church is the devil. Right. What I'm saying is there's, okay, there's so many people who are, we know that are not in the church. Right. And I'll just, I'll just use the, the easy ex- example. There's so many people who are either struggling with addiction, mm-hmm. they're living with their significant other that mm-hmm. uh they're not married to mm-hmm. they're homosexual mm-hmm. we know the laundry list of all the right. things right, right those people and we know these people are genuinely trying to find out who jesus is okay you plop them in one of these religious systems oh, they they're, don't fit yeah no they're toast and and not only will they just be exiled for a lot of them it's the final straw. Right. They'll never go back. Once again, I don't know what their salvation looks like. Jesus's grace is bigger than I get to know. What I do know is that the religious system they stepped into is putting a knife in their back. I totally agree. When I was asked, what was this, like four or five years ago now, at a Halloween party, someone just pulled me aside and said, not a Christian Halloween party, by the way, pulled me aside, never met this kid in my life before, pulls me aside, Hispanic kid, and he says, hey, used to go to church when I was like... 12, 13, whatever. Um, and then I realized I was gay. As soon as I realized I was gay, I was out of there. They wouldn't, that was it. They, they literally kicked him out of church. So from like 13 to like, I'm assuming he was in his younger twenties at this point. He's like, I've just been living my life, not going to church, not doing anything. He's like, but for the past couple of months, I just felt Jesus all over me. I I, got to find out who this guy Jesus is. That's amazing. And he asked me, he said, where should I go? What church should I go to? And I straight told him, because I didn't know of one. Right, right. I didn't know of a church that wouldn't chew that kid up and spit him out and make it worse for him. Right, right. I told him, dude, you got to find people who love Jesus, who are willing to meet you in a Starbucks, a Panera Bread, a home, whatever, because I personally don't know of any church that right. will chew you up and spit you out right now. Yeah. And I think, he, or make you think that they're okay with it and then turn around and say, you know what? Right. Sorry. So there, there's so many, that's what I'm talking about when we talk about religion and control. Christine and I have yet to find a church where we, I don't, I don't want to use the word audience, but the people who tune into our podcast, who watch the videos, who are genuinely seeking outside of the normal church experience about who God is It's a safe place to ask questions. I've yet to be able to find somewhere where I can fully say, you should go here. Thank you guys for spending time with us as we wrapped up part one of our two-part series on Is God More Than a Feeling? I know we stopped mid-conversation, but we are going to pick it up right where we left off next week, so be sure to tune in. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Peace.